Uh, it's good to be back with you. Uh, my wife Joanna and I have been traveling the last two weeks. We got to be part of a wedding uh, in Italy. And so Mason and Caroline Carr, who are part of our church, just got married this past Saturday in Italy. And so in the next, in the coming weeks when they're here again, make sure you uh, uh, congratulate them and the excitement that that is. And so they just got married and it was great and wonderful to be part of that. But uh, in the midst of that, you know, to get to be part of a wedding and young couple, so in love and so excited and the joyous occasion with their family, as wonderful as that is, right in the middle of that, uh, the day before the wedding, was reminded that oftentimes joy sits right next to sorrow. Uh, sometimes hard things come right up against the good things. And so as we were there all together, Mason got word that his grandfather had just passed away very suddenly the day before his wedding. And so uh, his mom and brothers and sister, and they're all there together. And it's like, you know, this, this wide range of emotions. You're so excited about this wedding and the joy that comes with it, but then there's this death that happens in your family right in the middle. But that's the way life is. A lot of times, <coughs> excuse me, oftentimes those things sit right next to each other. Joy right next to pain or, or, or loss uh, right next to new birth, right? This new relationship they're celebrating together with wedding, but then right beside that you hear your grandfather has passed. And that's the way life is a lot of times. And the truth is, sometimes it's more joy and sorrow is a little lesser, or sometimes that gets switched and there's more hard things than there are good things. And when that happens, there's a temptation to seek into the heart, sink into the hard things, to let those start to kind of overwhelm you, start to feel those things more fully. And so sometimes it's easy in those moments to let the difficulties kind of overshadow or rob our joy. Or, or take the glory of what God calls us to and what uh, this life that he's called us to live. It's easy for us to forget what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8. The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. But when you're right in the middle of those difficult times, it's easy to lose sight of that. And so I want us to think a little bit about that together today as we look at John chapter 11 that Chris just read for us. Because in the middle of it, I think we see Jesus shows us how to live the fullness of life of trusting him, even in the most difficult times. He gives us some really helpful things as we look at this passage together. And so what I want us to do is we look at John chapter 11, this very familiar story of Lazarus and Jesus calling him out of the tomb as he raises him from the dead and what that looks like. The way I want us to think about the difficult things that come in our life. First of all, how Jesus shows us that we approach all that comes at us. Right. So it gives us kind of a big picture of how we should approach all the things that are happening in our life. But then secondly, the truth is, even when those difficult things come, there's still really difficult feelings. There's still hard emotions. There's still a whole lot that comes with that. And I think Jesus shows us how to process that. That's the second thing I want us to see. Right. Big picture of how we approach it. Second, how do we process those emotions and those things that are coming at us? And then lastly, why we can have hope in all of it. And so I want us to look at this passage together and work our way through it. And so the first thing there, how do we approach all that comes at us in life? And I really think of that this first section of this passage, verses 1 through 16, right? So the, you, you heard the story. I'm sure many of you are familiar with the story. Jesus gets word that his friend Lazarus is really, really ill. And so when you start to read through this, you get that the one whom you love is ill, right? That's the word they send to him. 
or you get a little further into it and it tells us that Jesus really loved, verse 5, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so he, when he gets word that this guy's sick, this is not just like Jesus coming into the towns as he does and somebody comes up and tells them about their sick loved one or these kind of things that he's dealing with all the time. These are people that he knows really well, that he's actually spent a lot of time with, that he has a relationship with. Right. Jesus is fully God, but he's fully man and he's walking in time and space and he's having relationships and he knows these people. And he loves them and he cares for them. And it's serious enough what's happening with Lazarus that Mary and Martha, his two sisters, send for Jesus. And they say he's really sick. This one that you love is really ill. And they call Jesus and they're asking him to come. And so what you get there is he gets this word and he says it. But then it tells us that Jesus heard this and he says in verse four, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of man might be glorified through it. And then verse six, it says, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And so he says this doesn't lead to death. And then he purposely delays. He doesn't drop everything and go to Lazarus. He stays right where he is. He kind of pushes it off almost, right? This is not that big of a deal. It's okay. It doesn't lead to death. And he stays where he is. And so I want you just to think about that for a second and what's happening here. He kind of pushes them off and look at what it says in verse 11. After saying these things, he said to them, this is to his disciples after waiting two days, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And the disciples said, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking a rest and sleep. But then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. And Jesus says something kind of peculiar there. If you stop and think about it, he gets this word and his friend and then he tells his disciples, right? He's asleep and they go, "Okay, well, he'll be fine. He goes, no, 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 he's dead. He's died. But then he says, and I'm glad I wasn't there. You know, what? That's kind of peculiar if you think about it. it. Seems almost flippant. If I'm his disciples and I know how much he loves Lazarus and I hear Jesus say that, and he says, and I was glad I wasn't there, he'd be like, really? Right? I mean, everybody around this, you'll see as he gets here, they all ask the question, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus says, I'm glad I wasn't there. And he's dead. And it's almost like you can read that and it almost sounds like he's uncaring or he's kind of aloof. But if you look closely at what he says, he says, I'm glad I wasn't there because I'm going to do something that's going to bolster your faith. And I'm going to do something in this that's going to give greater glory to God. And see, Jesus is not uncaring and he's not being aloof and he's not being flippant in what he says there that he's glad he wasn't there. Jesus's perspective is he knows the end. He sees the whole. And so when he starts to talk in those ways, he knows how this is going to lead to glory. He's purposeful in his waiting. He's not slow in the way that we think that he's slow. And so I want you just to start here when we talk about thinking about how do we approach all that comes at us in our life is that Jesus knows the beginning and the end. He knows all of it. And he's purposely at work in all of it. And that's really what he's saying to his disciples here when he says that. I'm glad I wasn't there. 
And this doesn't lead to death. And it's going to lead to God's glory. He's saying all those things. Nobody else knows that. He's the only one that knows that in that moment. Everybody else is kind of scratching their heads and thinking, what is going on? But Jesus is in control of all of it. But in that moment, right, everybody else, that's not readily available to see. It's not easy. In fact, I want you to think about Mary and Martha for a minute. They know Jesus and they love him and they have a relationship with him and they trust him and they send word. Please come. Our brother's sick and they hear nothing. And he doesn't come. And they're waiting. And not only are they waiting in their waiting, Lazarus dies. And they don't hear back and they don't know. Right. All that we know is that Jesus purposely delayed a couple days and didn't go right away. And so Lazarus is deathly ill. They make this plea, please come. They're crying out for help. Yet Jesus waits. And I want you to think about this story because we know the whole story, right? You just heard the whole thing. We read through it. We know how it resolves. We know what's going on. We see Jesus over here doing these things. And we have Mary and Martha over here. But I want you to try to really relate to Mary and Martha at the moment. They send word, please, Jesus, he's sick. And they don't hear anything. And then they wait and then they wait and their brother dies and then they're waiting and they're waiting and they're mourning and he's still not there. And in those moments when things are really difficult and you're waiting, it can feel like God is slow. And you can tell from what Mary and Martha say when Jesus shows up that that's kind of what they're thinking. If you had been here, he wouldn't have died. Right. Another way to say that is, where have you been? <laughs> We sent days ago to tell you that he was sick. Right? We've been praying. And so I want you to think about that for a second in your own life. Have you ever felt like that? Are you ever praying for things? That you just know what the answer should be or you feel like, God, please do this. And it's silence. Or it takes a while. Or you're waiting. And you keep asking and you keep thinking. This will happen and he's going to come through and this is what it will be like. And it seems like he's not answering. Or at best, it seems like he's really slow. I think that's where Mary and Martha are in the middle of this story. That's what's happening with them. And as you consider what they're going through, what do you think those conversations are like in those four or five days? Lazarus dies and they're sitting. What are they saying? Where is he? We know he loves Lazarus. We know he loves us. Why is he taking so long? If only he had been here, he could have prevented this from happening. And I think every one of those things was probably being said in their house. And if we're honest, if we go around the room, you've probably said some of those things. You ever pray to God and ask those things and it seems like silence or it seems really slow And you go, where are you, God? What are you doing in this? And why is it taking so long? And why are you not here right now? And oftentimes that is the case. But what this text is showing us, and this is so very important, that it doesn't mean that God's not at work when we don't see it. It doesn't mean that he's slow, but he is purposeful. He knows exactly what he's doing. His timing is not our timing, but that doesn't mean it's wrong. It's hard for us. 
It's hard for us in the middle of it. It's hard when you're waiting and it feels slow. But that doesn't mean that he's not at work. And that's exactly what you see in the story. Now, you can read the story and you can say, yeah, yeah, okay. That's true. They wait. Lazarus dies. It's four days that he's dead before Jesus shows up. But then you say, but Jesus does then show up and raise Lazarus from the dead. So, yeah, they had to wait four days. And you may hear me say that, that God's purposeful and he's not slow and he's at work. And you may be thinking in your mind, but I've been waiting 20 years. I've been waiting my whole life praying for this thing and it's still not resolved. And it's so easy to let that overcloud what God is doing and to forget what Scripture tells us, that he's not slow, that he's purposeful, that he is at work. But when you're in the middle of those moments, it doesn't feel like that. And so I want to say to you, if you're in one of those times, and I know if we went around the room, a lot of you are. Maybe it's a month, maybe it's a year, maybe it is 20 years that you've been praying and waiting and begging God and it seems like he's slow. But I just want to remind you that he's not slow, that he is purposeful. But your timeline might need much longer than four days. But in the scope of eternity, it will not be slow. In the fullness of what God's doing, it will be for his glory and your good. And that's the way we're called to approach all the things that come at us in life, the hard things that press in on us. To continue to trust him even when we can't see exactly how that works, that God is at work. That he may even be saying right now, for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, but I'm going to do a work. You might still be in that section, but that doesn't mean he's not working. And so be reminded as we start to look at this, that Jesus is at work, that God's timing is not always our timing, but he is not slow. He is purposeful. Now, I say that and I recognize, particularly if you're in one of those moments or you've been in one of those moments or you're praying in those ways, that doesn't make it all feel great. Right. Sometimes we can do that as Christians. God works all things together for good. And if you're right in the middle of that thing, you walk away going, it doesn't feel like it. Right? Anybody ever said that to you? Romans 8.28. I'm not mocking Romans 8.28. That sounded like it. I did not mean that. But sometimes it doesn't feel like it. Right? That God works all things together for good for those called according to his purposes. You go, yeah, but I'm not sure how it works yet. And so there's a lot of emotions and a lot of feelings and a lot of things that go through that. And there's a lot of hard times and there's sadness and there's struggle and there's frustration. And so the second thing I want you to think about is, well, how do we process through that? And the first thing I want to say to you is you read through this passage. If you read real carefully and you focus on Jesus and you focus on what's happening in his life, it's okay to feel all those things. Jesus feels all of them. In this passage alone, he's he's upset. He's angry. He's frustrated. He's weeping. You see him go through all you see this throughout his entire ministry. He's often weeping. He's often overcome with emotion. You see in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night before he goes to the cross, he cries out to the father. If there be any other way. Right. 
He feels all these things fully. And I want to remind you of that, that it's not wrong to have these feelings. It's not wrong to have these emotions. It's not wrong to be sad. In different times, it's not wrong to be angry. It's not wrong to be frustrated. In fact, we've got a whole book of the Bible, 150 chapters worth of going, God, why like this? Right? The Psalms are filled with that. How long, O Lord? Where are you? What are you doing? Why like this? Why not now? Over and over and over again. And so I want you to hear that, that it's not wrong to have those feelings. But I also want to warn you when you start to think about that, that yes, those feelings and we have those. And that's true. But when we see Jesus here and he's having these feelings, what we see is he's always, always bringing them through the full lens of the truth. Right. Remember, Jesus is the logos, the divine truth, the very word of God. And he feels all these things, but then he brings every single one of them through the truth of who God is. And he sees the whole story. Our problem is we don't. We don't always see the whole story. And in our sinfulness, in our self-centeredness, in our, our sin nature that still clings to us, what can often end up happening is we're susceptible to being overcome by our emotions. And we let our emotions bring us to a place where we're now saying things that are not true. Right? We get to a place where we go, no good could ever come from this. It's not true. Right? You don't know all the ways this works out and how God's working and what he's doing, but we can feel that way. And so I want to say this in two ways. It's okay to feel all these things, but we want to be careful that we don't let our emotions drive the bus. Right to where we get to a point where we're now saying and believing and holding things that are not true because we've got let our emotions get the best of us. With what we see with Jesus is he experiences all the feelings that we experience and he's tempted with those things, but he never goes beyond what God's word says. He holds perfectly to it. And so when we start to think about how do we process and how do we go through this? And when we're feeling those things, we look to Jesus and what he tells us and what he shows us here and the way in which we operate. And so look what happens in this story. He goes to where they are. He delays. He shows up four days after Lazarus is dead. As he's approaching, Martha comes running out to meet him. If you know anything about Mary and Martha, they pop up in the Gospels at different times. Uh, The fact that Martha runs out to meet him and Mary hangs back makes perfect sense with everything we know about them. Right. Martha's a doer who speaks first, who tells you what's on her mind, who says those things, and she goes flying out to meet Jesus. I I think of Martha, maybe this is a little unfair to her, but I think of Martha kind of like as the female Peter. She's quick to speak. She says what's on her mind. She tells you those things. She's doing it. She's getting after it. Mary's more the feeler that hangs back, that's not there. But so Martha comes running out first. And she comes out and she meets Jesus. And as he's coming into the town, it said, Martha heard that Jesus was coming, verse 20, and she went to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So I want to stop there for just a second. 
Martha is, is speaking from faith. She, she's not completely letting her emotions get the better of her. She's still holding to faith. She's saying, I believe there's a resurrection. The understanding in the first century is this there's going to be a resurrection at the end of time when the dead rise. And that's what she's saying. Jesus says, your brother will rise. And she goes, yeah, 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 I know. Right. She's kind of saying, I got my theology in order and I know what it is. And yes, I know in the in the resurrection arise. Right. And that's why I say she's kind of like Peter. Right. She takes what she knows and she'll tell Jesus. Yes, I know, Jesus. I know my theology. I got it. Right. And that's what she says to him. But then Jesus almost is like, you're not hearing me. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. And Jesus kind of corrects her. Right? He knows what he's about to do. He knows what's about to happen. She's saying, yeah, yeah, he'll raise and then. Right. In the end, he'll he'll be raised. But she's also saying, but it's not the way it could have been if you would have showed up sooner. Right. I mean, that's kind of what she's saying. And Jesus is going, no, I am the resurrection and the life. And he's speaking truth over her emotions. He's speaking directly to her. And he does. And he tells her what is true. And I want to remind you that when we come up against those things, we need God's word. We need his truth over our emotions. We need the truth of what he's told us and what he said. And we need to let those stand over even the way we're feeling in the moment. And that's really what he does with Martha. And he reminds her of that. But then the second way when we think about your emotions, think about the way he handles Mary. Right? So Martha comes running out. He has this interaction with her. Mary hangs back. Then somebody says, Mary, he's here. And so she gets up and she goes out to meet him. And so Mary comes out. Verse 32, it says, now when Mary came to Jesus, to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Notice she says the exact same thing that Martha says, which makes me think that was said around their table a few times, right? In the four days, if he would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. If he would have shown up, if he was on our timetable, right? And so she says the exact same thing. But then verse 33 says, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. She says the exact same thing that Martha says, but Jesus doesn't answer. He doesn't say anything else. He just says, show me where he is. And it says he's deeply troubled and he's overcome with emotion. And then he weeps. And I just want to remind you of a couple things when you see that. First, Jesus knows everything that we go through. You lose a loved one in your life that you dearly care about. Jesus knows what that's like. And not just in the way that God knows that he knows all things, but he experienced it. And he was there and he was going through those things and he knows exactly what that's like. But you also see as Jesus models for us here, sometimes you just sit with those that are weeping and you weep with those that weep. Right? With Martha, he speaks to her and he kind of gives her this theology and he speaks directly to her. With Mary, he just sits down with her and weeps. And the truth is, 
believers and loving one another and discipleship and how we grow and how we do that together, our life's going to be both of those things. We never neglect the truth, but we also need the ministry of tears and presence. And sometimes it's just sit down and cry with each other. Sometimes you just say, I'm so sorry. I don't have words for that. Sometimes it's this is what scripture says and we say those things together, but sometimes it's both and sometimes it's one or the other. And you see Jesus doing both perfectly here. And so when you think about how do you process your emotions through all that? It's truth and it's tears. It's in both of those things. And you see Jesus doing both perfectly. But there's one last part here. It's not as readily available when you read it in the English kind of might miss it as you're reading through a uh, good uh, tip for your Bible study. You're reading through a passage, you're reading it over and over. You're thinking about these things. It's good to put yourself in the people's shoes, right? Try to uh, relate to how they're feeling and what's going on. But then you also want to look for repeated phrases, things that it says over and over again, right? And so they both say, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. See that a couple times. But then something else here, you see it in verse 33 and you see it in verse 39. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come out with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Verse 38, they take him to the tomb and he weeps. And then he says, verse 38, then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb and it was a cave and the stone was laid against it. That word deeply moved, it's used twice. It carries with it the connotation of being angry. If you go and you look the way that word's used in the ancient times and the Greek and the way that it was most commonly used, it relates to like a snorting animal. It's not just that he's upset. He's now angry. It's like a, uh, the noise is a horse makes. Like a, right? Like he's feeling this and he's sad and he's heartbroken and he's weeping, but now he's angry. And Jesus looks at the tomb and he's deeply moved and he's angry because he sees and he feels and he knows the effects of sin on his good creation. And it's why he's here. It's why he can turn to Martha and say, I am the resurrection and the life. It's exactly what he came for. And it's why he's here. And so he grows angry as he looks at it. And I want you to understand that God is not indifferent to your suffering. He weeps with us. He knows the effects of sin on his good creation. He is angered by those things that rob joy, that take us away from the way we were created. He cares deeply in all those ways. And so I want you to think about that in your own life. When you're going through those different things, there are times to be angry. There's times to have a holy anger at the things that go against the way God created things that bring pain and hardship and problems. And all that is evil in the world goes back to our rebellion against God. And Jesus sees that and he knows that and he feels that. And you see it in all of these places. And so I want to make sure that you see this. 
He feels along with us. He is not slow. He is purposeful in what he's doing. And so when you think about how do we approach this, you continue to trust him that he's working even in ways you can't see. When those emotions come, bring them before him. Tell him. Continue to take those emotions and put them under God's word, but go to him with them. With your sadness and with your anger and with your frustration and your how long and why like this, you continue to lay him before him. He knows all of it. But the last part here, How do we have hope? And the answer is what he does at the end. Verse 39, Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he has been dead four days, right? She goes, you sure you want to do that? It's going to stink. He's been dead for four days. Are you sure you want to do this? Again, kind of like Peter. Correcting Jesus. You don't want to do that. Right? But Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who died came out. He raises him from the dead. I've heard commentators say for years that Jesus says, Lazarus, come out, because if he just said come out, they all would have come out. But he calls Lazarus from the dead and he shows us that I am Lord over all. I am not slow. I am purposeful. I am in control of every bit of this. And what he does is he shows Mary and Martha. He shows the people standing there a visible picture of what he said earlier. I am the resurrection and the life. I'm in control of this. I am the Lord over all. And so I want you to really think about where you are in your life and the things that you're dealing with and the things that you're struggling with. And I want you to hear Jesus' words. Hear what he says to them. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And that's just as true for you today and whatever you're dealing with right now. He says, you trust me and you will see the glory of God. On a long enough timeline, we're going to see how all of it works together. And we continue to trust him in that, in every step of the way, in all things. Say, well, how do we have hope? Do you know what the biblical definition of hope is? A confident assurance in what is to come. It's not like we say in English, hope that works out. No, we're confident in what is coming because Jesus has defeated sin and death. The resurrection proves that. And we can trust him in all things. And so when Jesus says here, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Friends, that's his word to us. Whatever you're dealing with. Continue to come before him. Bring all your emotions and all those things and lay them at his feet and trust him that he's at work even when you don't see it. What we feel like is slow is not slow, but it is purposeful.
Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the glorious good news of the ways that you love us. We thank you that you are the resurrection and the life. That you are Lord over all. I thank you when we read through this word that you have kept for us. When you when your word tells us that you delayed and you waited and you are doing so for your good purposes, I pray for each one here who's in that waiting period. Whatever it is, whatever they're wrestling with, whatever they're struggling with, whatever they're bringing before you, I pray that you would show them so clearly that you are not slow, but you are purposeful. That you are at work. Help us to trust you more fully in all things and all ways that we continue to lay all our cares at your feet, knowing that you care for us, that you love us, that you are at work. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.